Hey now, and welcome back to the Drupal Easy Podcast. This is season 15, episode number six. This is the final episode of season 15. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Cameron Egans, maintainer of the Composer Patches plugin. We'll be talking about the past, present, and future of this beloved Composer plugin that is used by literally thousands and thousands of Drupal developers every single day. Before we get to the interview, let me briefly remind you about Drupal Career Online, Drupal Easy's 12-week Drupal beginner training program. This class is offered two half days a week, plus office hours for a few hours a week. And this course is now in its 12th year and provides best practice-focused training for aspiring Drupal professionals. Class begins August 28th. You can learn more at drupaleasy.com DCO. Welcome to the Drupal Easy Podcast, Cameron. How are you? Nice to meet you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. I don't think we've met in the past, have we? Uh, I don't. A, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. So, for those of you who haven't met Cameron either, so Cameron Egans, you are the maintainer of the Composer Patches Composer plugin. That I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not going to say it's all Drupal developers use, but the vast majority of Drupal developers that I interact with utilize the Composer Patches plugin. So first off, let me just say thank you for that. Um, thanks for that. I, um, I, I'm, I'm really happy that the, uh, that the plugin has been so widely used. Do you feel pressure from having a plugin that so many Drupal sites depend on? Oh, for sure. Sometimes yeah. it's, it, it's gotten some use outside the Drupal community too. It, I don't know. It, it, it seems like every commit it's like, you know, am I going to break somebody's workflow? <laughs> Is yeah. this going to be a really bad day for somebody? I was going to ask you about that in a moment, but since you brought it up, let me ask now, like, do you have, or what type of indications do you have about how much it's used outside of the Drupal community? I don't have a good indication of exactly how much or, or how widely used it is um, outside the Drupal community, but it, I know that I've gotten issues from like the Typo three community and Magento and yeah, and I mean just kind of using like the the GitHub code search, right? See, it gets pulled into Composer.json all over the place. So I believe that when we were when you and I were exchanging emails about this, I believe you told me that you're not you're not actually a Drupal developer anymore. At least is that accurate? Yeah, I I have uh, sort of changed technology entirely. Right. I, I haven't done Drupal in, I don't know, eight, nine months now. How about PHP? Nope, completely uh, completely hands-off. Yeah. I've switched over to, <laughs> to Go and DevOps, and it's, it's, been, it's been kind of a nice change of pace. Yeah, I think you may have just made everyone who depends on your plugin a little bit nervous with that statement, but... We'll get to that in a moment. So let's give your company a little bit of a plug. You're currently a staff DevOps engineer at Swirls Lab. Am I saying that right? S-W-I-R-L-D-S? Yep. So what does Swirls Labs do? Uh, so Swirls Labs works on the Hedera cryptocurrency. Okay. We have a contract with the Hedera Foundation to provide software engineering and, and DevOps services, among other things. So I, I primarily work on the on the DevOps side of the world. So 
help to make sure the the Hedera network stays up and running and, and healthy and we help kind of coordinate the releases to the various networks every month. All right. So I want to switch, obviously switch back to Composer Patches. What is it? Like for someone who is new to Composer Patches, has never used it, has no idea what we're talking about yet, how would you describe Composer Patches to kind of an entry-level Drupal developer? Sure. So I, I guess if you if you kind of think about the the best case scenario workflow with Composer, you are you're working on your project and you need to pull in some version of some library and you you can just do that. After you've done that, maybe you maybe you find a bug or you you need a new feature out of that library. So you make those changes and you contribute them back upstream and then nothing. The, the maintainer is MIA <laughs> or, or on vacation or just, I don't know, just doesn't maintain the project anymore or whatever. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, you still got a deadline to make and, and you need this thing to work. So Composer Patches is a mechanism to take those changes and incorporate them into your project without necessarily needing to have those changes upstreamed in your in your dependencies or you know some some people sort of rely on making a fork of the upstream dependency and keeping their changes there and that's that's just kind of a pain in the neck yeah and i think it's important to note that what composer patches does is something that could be done manually but composer patches just kind of automates the process of you specify the patch that you want to apply to the project or the up, upstream dependency is, or the project dependency and composer patches just kind of does it. Anytime you run and correct me if I'm wrong, a composer require composer update or composer remove command. Do I have that right? You have that right for version one. It's, it's a little bit more explicit in version two. All right. So it, there, there isn't quite so much, you know, uh, assuming how, how you're using composer. There's explicit commands to apply a patch or, or repatch all, all the stuff in your project. So for someone who uses Composer patches in its simplest form, they you know they save some patches to a patches directory in the project root. They add the extras configuration to their Composer.json, and they run Composer install the first time to get that patch applied. Mm -hmm. For someone who just does that, sets it up, can they just go about their business and have confidence that that patch will be applied as they expect? Or is there something new that they're going to have to do in the future based in, in 2.0 based on what you just said? Um, in in 2.0, if, if you've gone through the process of, of adding the patch to your project, every time you do a composer install, the, the patch will be applied. It, it's more like if you do a composer require, composer update or whatever, it's, it's not going to change the patch or, or do anything fancy like you're it's not going to break your composer workflows is, is kind of the goal okay i do want to talk about one statistic that i saw and i believe it was on your website cwegans.net where you have a, a blog about composer patches or i don't know if you call it a blog but there's some updates that they put there but one of the numbers i saw was that it's currently getting over forty thousand installs every day yeah which it, it, that, that's a huge number. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a mind-boggling amount of use. Um, <laughs> I don't really have a question, but I did want to say it out loud just so folks can appreciate like how many folks uh, and how many people are using uh, this plugin. Yeah, 
You know, I, honestly, I'm I'm really glad that Packagist exposes those statistics. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a good motivator. You know, it's it's like 44 million cumulative installs over the course of six years <laughs> or something. So yeah, I don't know. Like looking at it is, yeah. is just sort of motivating. I, like if if I just stopped maintaining the plugin, like it would not be a good situation. No. So how how did you get started with this? Was was were you just scratching an itch? Or did you take over another project? Like, how, how did this all start for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that it, it could very well be a, a manual step. And mm-hmm. it, it was at the time. It was a, it was a very painful manual step. We, we tried writing a, a little bash script to automate it. But, you know, people would forget to run it or, or whatever. And it, it was just not a pleasant experience. So, at the time, I was working for NBC Universal, And... They had sort of an internal Drupal 7-based distribution for all of their various brands. The The project that I was brought on for was to essentially port that distribution to Drupal 8. And this was in the really early days of Drupal 8. We, we started at like Drupal 8 Alpha 2 or something. Oh, okay. Pre-release. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, naturally depended on on a lot of modules that, you know, if, if they were ported to Drupal 8, they were only done there. That, that was only done in a, in a patch in the issue queue. And so we'd like pull in the Drupal 7 version of the module and then apply this patch to port it to Drupal 8. It was, uh, that got old real not fast. Not a pleasant experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and since it was more or less a greenfield project, we were really committed to making sure that you know, we're, we're going to use composer and we're going to make sure there's good test coverage and stuff. And you just, you know, sort of enforce good engineering practices from the beginning. So, you know, we, we were pulling in all the dependencies with composer and, and we needed to be able to, to apply the patches. So it was kind of just a, you know, let, let's see if this can even work sort of, sort of task that was assigned. And, uh, it turns out it can. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Is this something that you just took on yourself, or was this a task that was assigned to you in a very open-ended way, saying, figure out a way to make this better? Or was it specifically, go write a Composer plugin to make this better? It was, if I recall correctly, it was it was sort of a research ticket. Ah. It was like how how can our workflow not suck? <laughs> <laughs> it was was sort of the gist of it, but yeah. So I, I, I spent a little bit of time on it. Found out that you could write composer plugins, and um, you know, and there you go. Yeah, kind of went from there. So there's a 2.0 release coming up. What can we expect? You mentioned a, a minute ago, but kind of give us more of a big picture. Sure. So 2.0 for me is is. A couple of big things. So one is that dependency patch resolution is going away. The, the, the process of, of discovering patches that are defined in the dependencies that are pulled into your project, and I, I think we'll we'll talk about that in the in a little bit. But the the thing that sort of goes hand in hand with that is that composer patches itself is now extensible. So if you you know if if you really need dependency patch resolution or or some other way of discovering patches for your project, you can write a little composer plugin that extends composer patches and it'll just kind of like plug into the, the, the main process. 
And then the, the third thing was sort of maintainability and really thorough testing and, and things like that. From, from my perspective, the, the 1.x branch was just really fragile and it, it was really, uh, I don't know, anxiety inducing to, to make big changes to it um, or, or even just little changes that could potentially have weird side effects. It seems like you have made the decision that you want to continue to own and made to own, not own, own, but maintain composure patches, but you want to set it up for the long haul. Yeah. And from what I've read and, and what, you've, what you've just told us, number one, that means getting rid of dependency patch resolution, which you've written a blog post about it and how it has been the, the, the root cause of many of the issues in the issue queue for composure patches. But also, you know, adding the testing and making it extensible so that, as you said, if someone needs to do something outside of the, you know, 80% of all use cases, they can write code that, you know, as you said, will hook into Composer patches to allow them to do that. So it kind of takes the onus for all of those edge cases off of you and allows other folks to, you know, do what they need to do interoperate with composer patches while not adding code to composer patches that could potentially make it buggy or unusable or, or, or unstable for other users. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, just sort of making it a really strong foundation that does, you know, a couple of the, the really straightforward cases and then has extension points for all of the special stuff that people want to do. Are there other uh, maintainers or other active contributors more than just like one off here and there? Do you have folks that, you know, actively work with you on issues? Yeah. So Dane Powell is a, another Drupal person. Um, he, uh, he now has commit access to the repository. Oh. So he's, he's able to, to make changes. So I, I just added him earlier this year, I think. So that, that's been really helpful, just knowing there's there's somebody else sort of keeping an eye on things. And there's also sort of a core group of, you know, users of the plugin, I guess, that make good bug reports or good suggestions about how to how to approach a problem. And I'm, I'm really grateful for those people taking the time to be involved. Yeah, it must have been a huge relief and probably a little bit of anxiety in adding, you know, that first co-committer with you. Yeah, I, I've had a couple of requests over the years, you know, like, can can I be a co-maintainer? And, and uh, it, it's always been kind of one of those, well, okay, yeah, work, work on some issues or, or open some pull requests or whatever, and we'll, we'll go from there. But, you know, Dane actually did that, <laughs> <laughs> which was really nice. He's a, he's a good guy. Very good. And when can we expect 2.0? 2.0.0. Um. Do you have a goal? Or? Well, previously my answer was when it's ready. Sure. Okay. <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I guess the thing that I was sort of waiting for is for people to test it and, and try to use it in their projects. Let me ask the most important question of that. If someone wants to test it, other than installing the new version, well, if they're again, if they are in the eighty percent use case where they, you know, they've added some patches to their composer.json uh, file, 
do they have to change anything other than getting the new version? Should it just work as is? It should just work. It, uh, 2.0 is backwards compatible with the same, you know, patch definitions that that were in your composer.json or in your or in your patches.json if you're using an external file. Right. You know, it, it has some some extra stuff if you want to define things in a in a fancy way, but you shouldn't have to change anything other than the version of composer patches that's pulled into your project. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's um, probably a very nice thing for people to hear. And I think from the other side of it, if people are testing it, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you would love for them to give you feedback in the issue queue. You know, even if there's no problems, yeah. because I think if you if you if you get a lot of feedback saying I'm using Composer 2.0. There's no issues. I didn't have to change anything. This is my, you know, this is a summary of my setup. That's valuable data as well. You just don't want to hear about issues. You want to hear about successes. So you can kind of gauge, do we have 90% successes and 10% issues? Okay, well, that that tells us something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I suspect that a number of projects won't be able to upgrade because they rely on that dependency patch resolution functionality. Sure. But it's it's sort of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like whoever wants to write the plugin that provides that functionality is probably not going to do so until Composer Patches 2.0 is out, but people won't be able to test 2.0 until that plugin exists. Yeah, I had, I had heard about th- that you could do that, that you could put you know, patch metadata in a dependencies composer.json file, but for some reason that it never felt never felt right. It never felt like I would, that's something I wanted to do. To me, it felt like something could get lost through the, you know, slip through the cracks or, you know, I don't even know the answer to this and I'm not looking for you to answer, but like in my head, I'm like, well, what would happen if I'm applying a patch or this, you know, dependency A is applying a patch to the same dependency that my core or my root composer.json is. I'm sure I'm going to get a patch will not apply error or something like that. So for me, it was always just like, I'm aware of that functionality, but I don't want to add that complexity to my life. But from what you're saying and from what I've read in your in your articles, it seems like it's probably not a significant number, but there is a, a non-zero number of people who do use that that dependency um, patch resolution. Yeah. I mean, I I would say that it's it's probably a more significant number than than you'd think. It it's it's surprisingly widely used. Really? Um, and if you go look at the okay. if you go look at the discussions in the GitHub repo, there, there's a, a thread in there about like we we use this for this reason and and all that. But like a, a, a really common use case is there's some Drupal contrib module that depends on a a core patch. You know, there's like core functionality oh, okay. being developed in tandem yep. with mm-hmm. with some contrib module. So in order for this thing to even work at all, like core has to be patched right which you know that's that's fine it, that, that's that's how stuff gets fixed in core too <laughs> i'm gonna play devil's advocate with forty thousand installs per day i would still argue or i I put money on that the number of folks using dependency patch resolution is the vast minority of those forty thousand installs per day yeah and granted, that forty thousand installs per day is not forty thousand people per day. That's just how many times that packages is getting hit with it, or something like that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to talk you out of what you've done by any stretch. I I actually think it's a great idea. I I like simpler modules that have you know the functionality. If someone else wants to extend it, and I believe modules should be 
small and focused and rock solid. And I think that's kind of what you're going for with, with 2.0 by removing this feature slash functionality. Yeah. It's, this is something that I've gone back and forth on a lot. The, the people that rely on the dependency patch resolution functionality is like, it's definitely the, the minority of the, the overall users of the plugin, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a big enough number that I, I went back and forth on whether or not to remove this functionality for a long time. Yeah, it seemed like it from the um, from the blog post you wrote, and then I went into some of the issues and was poking around in there, and it it does not seem like it was an easy decision. No, no, and I, I you know, I, I I'm I'm still kind of trying to let go of like I I feel bad about breaking people's workflow, but ultimately, like it's it's not something that I can commit to maintaining, and right, it, if it stays in, like I don't know how much maintenance composer patches is going to get it's like that it was hugely demotivating to to just trip on the same issues over and over and over again well i you know i, I think it's a i think it's a great decision i mean there, there is not that you're looking for approval from me by any stretch <laughs> of imagination <laughs> but when i read when i read it i'm like okay that seems like a very like uh, like a mature decision right from from your standpoint, I could imagine that you want to continue maintaining it. You've gotten a lot of joy and personal satisfaction out of maintaining it, except for this one thing that's kind of dragging it down. Mm -hmm. And if this one thing can be removed and have someone else pick up on that and you provide the necessary hooks so that they can write something that can hook into composer patches, I think everybody wins. Granted, there's going to have to be a small group of people who you know, maybe come together and write the plugin for dependency patch resolution. And, you know, maybe they're going to need your help here or there. Or maybe they're going to ask you to, you know, I don't know, for something. But that seems a lot more maintainable and sustainable than, than the path that sounds like you were on before. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, I guess on, on that topic before we move away, I, I mentioned this in the blog post, but, you know, if they're, one or, or many people are, are interested in actually writing that plugin, you know, definitely reach out. I'm, I'm happy to spend some time, you know, sort of discussing some of the edge cases and, and weird things that, that need to be handled, help answer questions about why it's tricky. It, it, it can be something that seems simple on its face and then gets a lot more complex when you get into it. All right. Well, anybody wants a challenge, contact Cameron. So let's finish up. And this is something I've learned, I would say maybe the past year and a half, and I still, I don't think this is as widely known as it should be. And this has to do with one of the best practices of composer patches. And I think I actually learned this from a blog post or a session from Tim Lennon from the, from the DA, who mentioned that you should never link to a patch directly from Drupal.org. You should always download that patch, save it on your local as a static, you know, patch file and allow composer patches to utilize that. I'm going to assume that's something that you completely agree with. Are there pros and cons for doing it that way? And are there any other best practices that you would recommend, but you don't necessarily folks using all the time? As, as a recommendation, downloading your patches and applying them locally is not it's not like 
bad advice. And like, if you just do that with, with all of your patches, it, it's fine. The biggest reason to do that is if you, so GitLab and GitHub, if you have a, a, a merge request or a pull request respectively, you can tack on, you know, dot patch to the end of the URL and, and get, you know, a, a patch file of all the changes in that merge request or pull request. People have used that as, you know, the, the URL to the patch in their composer.json. And then when somebody pushes new changes to that merge request, suddenly their patch is different. So, you know, somebody malicious could like That's push scary. changes to yes. the pull request, right? <laughs> and then, and then it's your project right. is just hosed. So it, it, Certainly, if you're using merge request or pull request URLs in your project, like don't do that. Download the patches, apply them locally. Patches that were uploaded directly to Drupal.org are a little bit different. Um, once those are there, they're there, and and it, it, there's a little bit more friction to, you know, changing the content of those files. It would have to be somebody that has administrative access to Drupal.org, and right. And I think Tim's point was you know, at least partially because to reduce the server load on, on Drupal.org. Um, it, it's been a while since I've worked on Drupal.org, but I think most of those files are served through the CDN. If that's the recommendation from the DA, like do that. <laughs> if, if that's, if that makes a big impact to, uh, you know, the DA's hosting costs or, or CDN costs or whatever, like, yeah, absolutely download your patches. All of that said, Composer patches 1.x was very simplistic in its mechanism for, you know, if, if it's a remote patch, we're going to download it and then just apply it to the project. Composer patches 2 is a little bit smarter about things. So every patch that you apply to your project, local or not, when you apply it, it the, the SHA-256 of that patch is going to be saved into a patches.lock file. Oh, wow. So if the... If the content of your like pull request patch file changes, you'll know because Composer Patch is going to like you know ring the alarm bells and complain really loudly about it. And so the security aspect of of that particular recommendation is maybe a little less severe in in two Yeah, that's a nice little feature. Yeah, I mean it's it's something that I wanted to do in one x, but it, it's just too it's just too fragile. Are there any other best practices for using Composer patches that you would uh, like to see more people implement? You know, I, honestly, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm really the best person to prescribe those best practices. <laughs> so a lot of the best practices are sort of emergent, right? Like you right. discover them from actually working on real projects that have Composer patches installed, and like I, I don't anymore. <laughs> Well, but it can also be that when you wrote the plugin, you intended it to be used one way, but now it's being used a different way. I don't think that's the case, but I figured since I had you here, I might have, I might as well ask. Yeah, no, I mean it's, I mean people use it in in mostly predictable ways. Okay, I guess the the big thing that has come up multiple times is like you, if you're if you're using I don't know, say Drupal ten. And you want to pull in a module where the composer.json requires Drupal nine, like you can't, you can't patch that module's composer.json. Right. Yeah. It's just the way that composer works doesn't let you do that. So that's that's really the only 
like big thing to keep in mind, I think. There is, I believe, isn't there a, there's a mechanism that somehow gets around that. I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, there was some blog post about it. I think I might have it linked in the documentation for composer patches. All right, I'll find it. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. So don't worry about that right now. Oh yeah, okay. It's in the non-patchable targets page. James William wrote an article about it. I think we're. I think that's everything I wanted to ask you. So, look, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today, and thank you very much for myself. And I'm sure a heck of a lot, probably forty thousand users a day. Well, maybe not <laughs> users a day, but a heck of a lot of PHP developers out there who depend on your plugin. So, thank you for your continued support and maintenance of the of the project. And just know you've got a lot of people out here who really appreciate what you do. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for listening to the Drupal Easy Podcast. Don't forget to check out all of our long-form Drupal training courses at DrupalEasy.com. See ya!